0: this letter comes as the final greetings or the conclusion to the letters to the letter of the colossians <clears throat> but in in reading this list of names you can't help but hear the personal uh, relationships and the impact that these people have had on paul as well as uh, just imagine in your mind the impact that they've had whether it's on the church at laodicea or even the church <clears throat> Um, in Colossae or in the surrounding churches. Uh, it's this, uh, this kind of uh, uh, re- recounting the people that God has used to minister to Paul, to advance the gospel, to build up the church. And it, and it raises a question for us as we consider what Paul is saying here in this, uh, this final uh, word to the Colossians. It raises the question for us, um, if if we were to write a list of people that have impacted our lives, impacted our faith, helped us to grow in Christ, whose whose list would we be on? And even perhaps even more importantly, uh, who would be on your list? Uh, who are the people? Uh, that God has used to minister to you to make a difference in, in your life and uh, to help you to, to grow in Christ and to, to help you share your faith and to, to help you walk through trials and to help you walk through uh, just the, the everyday challenges of life as well as the big moments of life. Who are those people? And I ask these questions this way, one helping us to consider whose lives we may have impacted as well as to think about the people that have impacted us, not for the purpose of us trying to, you know, be important people in other people's lives, but for the purpose of us thinking about what it is that makes a person significant Uh, in the the spiritual journey of another person what are the types of things that that actually lead uh, a person when recounting who's made an impact on their life made a difference in their life to include them on this list what was it about Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and Mark and Epaphras and Luke and Nympha and Demas and Archippus and all of these other names that lead Paul to, to say, uh, these are the names that I want to bring to your attention. I want to either send greetings from them or want you to bring greetings to them. And it's actually a, an important question to ask because Paul does this at the end of Colossians in a way that the only other book that he does this in is the end of Romans. Romans 16 is the only other book that you will find this extent of a list of people. Uh, you'll, find, you'll find no doubt other names mentioned in each of the other letters. Usually the one Paul mentions or the ones he mentions are those he is uh, sending to deliver the letter uh, or perhaps those to, to whom whose house or uh, whose, whose ministry is significant in the, the church in that particular area. It's likely that Paul is uh, so extensive in the list of names that he mentions at the end of Colossians because he's never been there. He hasn't actually gone to the church at Colossae. He actually um, only knows about the, the church at Colossae through the ministry of Epaphras. And perhaps he wants to uh, to just indicate his gratitude for them and for the uh, the work that God has done among them. That would also be similar to the church at Rome. Paul, when he writes the book of Romans, had never been uh, to Rome. Uh, he had only uh, heard about the ministry that had taken place and the work that had been done there. And he was desiring to go there with hopes that they would send him on to Spain so that he could share the gospel there. And so uh, as, as Paul writes uh, this uh, conclusion to his letter, he has these names on his heart and, uh, and these people that he wants to either send greetings from or send greetings to. And when we think about what Paul is saying here, the, the type of things uh, that Paul is drawing our minds to as he describes these people are, how are we loving others? How are we serving others? How are we ministering to others? How are we believing in others and the work that God has called them to do? How are we working through our differences and even reconciling with others? And, and how are we challenging and spurring others along in their faith and in their ministry? These are all things that are contained in these personal descriptions. Uh, in some ways, as I uh, charted out this uh, sermon series, I was tempted to to just loop in verses 7 through 18 to last week's message. But after reading the letter and, and working through it in, in preparation for kind of laying out the schedule, I thought, uh, I really think it would do us good to reflect on these personal greetings and these personal descriptions of people. I think sometimes as we, as we read the, the, the Bible, we can uh, we can kind of uh, lose a little bit of the personal sense of it. It's like the Colossians, you know, the, the people out there, you know, the, the Romans, all all these large groups. And it's like, how do we sometimes wrap our, our minds and our arms around uh, what these people were like and what God was doing in their church? And, and I'm just I'm reminded as I read uh, this list, it's, it's very practical. It reminds us that uh, in order for there to be church, somebody had to open their house. And Nympha was the lady who opened her house at the church at Laodicea. Uh, for uh, for the work of the gospel to go forward, Paul couldn't do it by himself. It, it, Paul was extraordinarily gifted. Paul is like the missionary par excellence, like if there ever were uh, a missionary uh, that was the epitome of a missionary, it's Paul. And yet Paul spends the majority of his time Working alongside others. He he never goes it alone. He's always working with others. And uh, even when he's in prison, uh, he is in correspondence with his fellow co-workers and his fellow believers, reminding them of various truths and writing letters like this to the Colossians, as well as sending and receiving others to take the gospel to other places. Even when Paul was in prison, he was able to share the gospel with a runaway slave named Onesimus. And in coming to faith in Christ, he builds a relation with Onesimus and he sends him back to reconcile his relationship with his master, Philemon, and tells Philemon to receive him not as a slave but as a brother. He encourages and ministers to Onesimus and sends him out with with encouragement and, and on his behalf goes before him to write a letter uh, to Philemon and most likely the letter of Colossae uh, was uh, delivered along with the letter to Philemon, the personal uh, letter. Uh, and and you see also his ministry with others that he describes here uh, of, of those who have been a comfort to him. There's this, there's this deeply... Uh, uh, personal and, and teamwork that kind of permeates Paul's ministry. He doesn't go it alone. He works with others and, and we see the fruit of his ministry. Um, and the, the description that, that he gives here uh, in some ways is a a a wide-ranging description, if you will, of what Christ-centered service looks like. The the emphasis that I want us to lean into today uh, is to to really understand what it means to be servants and missionaries like the people that Paul describes here. Um, Because in this personal overview uh, of what Paul uh, lists here, in in many ways we have a summary to the letter, but also a description of Christ-centered ministry. This, this whole series as we've been walking through Colossians, we've been talking about this primary message of what it means to center our lives on Christ. Uh, the letter to the Colossians as a whole is, is an encouragement to them uh, to, not, to not pursue Spiritual uh, truths and spirituality that goes beyond Christ. If somebody comes along and says, "Hey, I got a new thing for you. I got a new book for you. I got a new technique for you. I got a new course for you. I got a new something for you," and what you've got is nice, like that the, the stuff about Jesus that Paul taught you, that's cute and all, but I've got something better for you. Paul says, "Don't go chasing after those things. They won't. They won't stop the indulgence of the flesh. They won't help you grow in Christ. Instead, hold fast to Christ, who is the head." Make Christ the center of your life. Just as you receive Christ, so walk in him, Paul says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. And so we've, we've unpacked what, what it looks like for us to be Christ-centered throughout this entire book. And I think in many ways, as Paul writes what he does here, uh, he's talking about those people have, who have joined him in his own Christ-centered ministry. In Colossians 1, a few weeks ago, Pastor Chris taught from this passage. Paul gives us kind of the description uh, and the, the primary motive of his ministry. In verse 28 of Colossians 1, Paul says, Him we proclaim, Christ We proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, basically, I am striving to see everyone built up in Christ, mature in Christ, and I'm doing that with all the strength that God provides me. The, the purpose of my ministry is to proclaim Christ and to help people grow up into Christ. That's what Paul says he uh, is called to do. And he says that ministry is not a solo ministry. That ministry Paul shares with a whole host of other people. And I think in a very similar way, though we are not apostles, we share that this same ministry and this same calling in the local church to proclaim Christ And to help build others up in Christ. And so the instructions that Paul gives or the greetings that Paul gives um, are helpful to us to form us as a Christ-centered family of servants and missionaries. So I want to give you the the structure and the outline and then kind of unpack what it means for us to be a family of servants and missionaries. So there's kind of three primary groups that Paul is is going to mention in our passage. And verses 7 through 9, Paul mentions um, <clears throat> those who are delivering the letter to the Colossians, Tychicus and Onesimus. Uh, these faithful uh, brothers are delivering <clears throat> this letter to the church at Colossae. Uh, and so, Paul commends them um, and, and gives instructions to receive them <clears throat> from uh, as 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 if he himself were present <clears throat> excuse me and then in verses 10 through 14 paul shifts and he sends greetings from his co-workers he's going to list uh, several people aristarchus mark Jesus, who is called justice and Epaphras, uh, and then he's going to go on and talk about uh, Luke and Demas as well, and and he gives instructions concerning these co-workers. It, it, within this list, there are three that Paul references as being of the of uh, what does he say in verse uh, in verse eleven? He says that. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who is called Justice, are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Uh, there's some debate as to what this means, um, because most people take uh, Luke to perhaps be also Jewish, but Hellenistic kind of Greek influenced. Um, and, uh, and so when he says of the circumcision, it could mean that these are the only Jewish uh, background brothers who are serving with him. Uh, and he has taken great comfort from them. Other people note that in Galatians, when you see the word of the circumcision, it's actually referring to a group of people known as the circumcision party. And this group of people in Galatians made a big stink uh, of the churches in the, the area of Galatia by saying not only do you need Christ, but you actually need to keep the law as well. Uh, so it wasn't that they rejected Christ, but they added to Christ the necessity of keeping all of the ceremonial uh, aspects of the law. And Paul says very clearly and without, um, without any uh, stuttering, so to speak, uh, that that is no gospel at all. If we add to the, f- the, the sufficient work of Christ the necessity of, of our own works, then we, we have compromised the gospel. And so it's possible uh, that perhaps these brothers were once uh, of that mindset and have come to a clear understanding of the gospel and are working with Paul in his ministry uh, to, uh, to advance the gospel. Uh, I think that's possible. Uh, but the presence of Mark uh, in this group also tells me that most likely what Paul is meaning here is, is that they, they aren't so much of this second party. But they primarily uh, are, are those who are Jewish background followers of Christ. But in it is also a testimony of the reconciling work of the gospel. Just go back in your mind, if you will, to Paul's first missionary journey. I won't walk us all the way through it, but the first missionary journey that Paul goes on, uh, he and Barnabas are sent out, and along their way, they take Mark, uh, who who comes with them. And uh, and Mark was uh, of benefit to them on their first uh, missionary journey, but along the way, Mark uh, ends up breaking off. And uh, once Paul and Barnabas make it back to Antioch and they get ready to go out on their second journey, there's there's a division, it says, between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wants Mark to come along again. Paul doesn't want Mark to come along again. And so it says they were sharply divided and that Barnabas took Mark and they went their own way on a missionary journey. And Paul takes Silas, uh, another guy who uh, came to the Church of Antioch was a teacher and a prophet at the Church of Antioch, and they go out on Paul's second missionary journey. It doesn't tell us that uh, that there was necessarily any sin in regards to how they divided. It just tells us there was a strong disagreement, and they divided. Uh, is is what what we're told by Luke in the Book of Acts, and and here we find after a number of years, Paul. No doubt, perhaps, the reference where he said uh, that he is sent he mentions Mark being a cousin of Barnabas. So there's an extra accommodation of recognizing Barnabas's, uh, uh, Mark's connection to Barnabas, who would have been well-received in the church. Um, and he is given prior instructions concerning him, uh, perhaps in light of the divide that had taken place between he and Barnabas and, uh, and Mark. And, uh, and he says, when he comes, welcome him. And he says that Mark, along with Aristarchus and Jesus, who is called Justice, have been of great comfort to him. And here we just have this reminder uh, of how God so often works in the church as believers work through differences, sometimes differences of opinion, differences of strategy, other times as they work through conflict. uh, We see the reconciling work of the gospel, that we can work together uh, in the midst of sometimes differences of opinions and preferences, and that we can reconcile through offenses So that we can be united as brothers and sisters in Christ and we can be fruitful in God's work that he has for us. And so we have this description of Paul and his co-workers, but it's packed with great significance that we'll we'll come back to. And the third group is that Paul sends greetings to the Christians who are in Colossae and the surrounding area. This is also interesting because verse 15, Paul mentions the brothers who are in Laodicea. Which might sound strange to your ears because we're talking about the church at Colossae, right? Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. I don't have a map to show this to you, but uh, there's this area, this region that we've mentioned before called the Lycos Valley. Um, And in this valley, uh, in this area, there are a number of cities, but three of the prominent ones are Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. And Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, uh, who Epaphras helped start. And most likely, uh, it's, it's the case that Epaphras also helped start the churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Or perhaps even through the influence of his ministry, those churches came to be established. And so Paul is writing the letter of Colossae and he's telling these believers who are at Colossae to give his greetings to the brothers who are at Laodicea and the Nympha and whose house the church meets there. And he says, when this letter is read among you, take it and have it also read among the church of the Laodiceans. And then he says, see that you also have read the letter from Laodicea. Now, if you know your Bibles, your New Testament, uh, there is no Laodiceans uh, in the New Testament, right? Um, we got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those are known as the prison epistles, but there's no Laodiceans. So what is the letter to Laodicea? It could be that there is just a another letter out there that we don't have that Paul wrote to the church at Laodicea. This is the case in the letters to the Corinthians. Paul mentions uh, not only uh, First and Second Corinthians, but he mentions a third letter that we don't have access to uh, that he wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, in a day where uh, the only way you talk to people was to write letters, it's possible that Paul wrote other letters that aren't in the New Testament. The letters that were intended to be in the New Testament are in fact in the New Testament to us as God's word uh, for us. However, uh, I think the uh, a good group of scholars, and I, I would be of this mindset that the letter to the Laodiceans uh, is perhaps, and most likely in my mind, a letter, the letter to the Ephesians. If you read the the Ephesians letter, uh, it's uh, <clears throat> it doesn't have the same type of greetings uh, and. Um, and and instructions concerning people at the end of it that you find in Colossae. It only mentions Tychicus uh, who he describes, Paul describes in the same way. And he says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. is a very broad uh, letter. And most uh, note that Ephesians functioned as a cyclical letter in that it was intended to be passed around to other churches. And so uh, it's likely that what happened is that there are uh, the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians. And Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. And then I think he also wanted to specifically address the issues that Epaphras shared with him about what was taking place at Colossae. So if you read, we're studying Ephesians right now in our men's breakfast and Bible study. Uh, Shout out to uh, some of the guys who are there on Saturday. Uh, As we read through Ephesians, you'll note Ephesians and Colossians sound very similar. Ephesians uh, lays out for us uh, what the work of Christ and what Christ has done for us. And in fact, the instructions concerning uh, Christ-centered change, uh, the instructions concerning the family, slaves and masters, uh, the instructions uh, concerning prayer and praying for the gospel, the latter half of Ephesians and Colossians look very similar. You can see the, the relationship in Paul's mind as he writes to these believers in this area that he wanted to cover some of these basic this basic content. But the letter to the Colossians specifically takes into account the news from Epaphras that this church that Epaphras helped start has, is, is being tempted to be led astray by this teaching that goes beyond Christ. And so uh, Paul, I think, writes to the Colossians specifically with this in mind to encourage them and build them up. But the letters to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians likely came by the same hand, by, it tells us, by the hand of Tychicus, uh, who was one of Paul's co-workers, and we With him came Onesimus, who delivered the letter to to Philemon, who was in the church at Colossae. Uh, So you see how all of this uh, is working together and how Paul intended. In fact, this is one of the ways you maybe have asked yourself, how do we get the Bible, right? Paul's just writing these letters and like, who picked these letters to be in the Bible? Did we just randomly like, hey, Let's put these letters in the Bible. We like these letters. Um, What what you see happen early on is Paul intends his letter to be read to the congregation and often intended his letter to perhaps either be passed on or copied so that it could be passed on to other churches. And we have from church uh, history knowledge of Paul's letters being collected together in what was called a codex, which is like the first book. Uh, And these letters of Paul being circulated among the churches along with the fourfold gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John very early within the church, so much so that when other spurious gospels, like things like the gospel of Thomas, um, which… started to circulate, you could see the difference between them uh, and the the already circulating authoritative Gospels that came from uh, the the hands of uh, the disciples, Matthew and John, as well as uh, Paul's associates and Peter's associate, Mark and Luke. Um, And so uh, it's interesting here in this letter, uh, if indeed Mark is the, uh, this Mark is the author of the... Uh, Gospel of Mark, which I would take it that direction, and Luke, uh, who's called the beloved physician, is the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. In this one letter, uh, you have have almost represented two-thirds of the whole New Testament. Uh, of those who would write uh, the New Testament. Luke would write it, the, the Gospel of Luke, on the, the testimony of eyewitnesses and uh, other uh, other circulating content at the time concerning what Jesus said and taught, and Mark would write it largely on the memory and testimony of Peter. And so here we have, uh, in, in this uh, letter, as Paul addresses those to whom the, the letter is to, to be taken, we, we have a glimpse of, into the interconnectedness of, uh, of Paul's mission and the relationships between even some of the churches and the letters that Paul wrote. And then finally, in verse 18, Paul signs the letter to the Colossians, um, where he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so Paul closes it out on a personal note uh, as he signs off, uh, which he, he does in a few of his other letters. Uh, as well uh, as a personal uh, affirmation of his hand in writing this letter. So, this is the the content of the greetings. What do we take away from it? I want us to take away three things. And the first is this, that we are family. You notice the language of how Paul refers to the people in this letter. A few different times this comes out. He refers to uh, our beloved brother, Tychicus. Uh, He also mentions Onesimus and he calls Onesimus the same, our beloved brother. And referencing the believers who are at the church um, in Laodicea, he refers to them as the brothers in Laodicea. The language of brothers uh, is uh, encompassing as often it does in other languages, you use the masculine to, when you want to refer to a large group of uh, of, of men and women, and so m- many of your translations will read the brothers and the Sisters of Laodicea uh, in fact, in, uh, in Philemon, as Paul uh, mentions specifically uh, the church that 's meeting there, uh, he, he mentions the house in whom the church meets. And he refers to the sister. He says to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in our house. So Paul can do it in both ways, but often when he uses brothers in this way in reference to a group of believers, he's referring to the, to the men and women in that group. And so here we have this familial language of brothers and sisters. Those whom Paul does ministry with are brothers and sisters. This truth that we are the family of God uh, is in almost all of Paul's letters and all throughout the New Testament and it's central to Jesus' own teaching that we pray to God our Father as his beloved children with Christ, uh, his son as our elder brother uh, who has made it possible for us to become a part of the family of God. Those uh, who receive him have the right, the the Apostle John would say, to become children of God. John uh, chapter 1 verse 12. We're reminded that we're family because of the work of Christ. We're family not because of anything we've done, but we're family because of the work of Christ. You're in your family, not because of anything you've done. For better or for worse, right? You're in your family. And you're in your family not because of anything you've done. Because you were born into that family. And we cannot be born into God's family. There are no grandchildren uh, that God has. There are only children. And the only way you could become a part of his family is not to be born into his family. But to use the language again of the Apostle John. It's to be born again into his family. We can only become a part of the family of God through the work of Christ, through receiving that work by faith. In fact, Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. He says in, in praying for the Colossians and how they came to faith in Christ through the truth of the gospel, he, he reminds them this took place because of the work of God the Father. We ought to give thanks to Him because He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. In light, Paul says, the, the inheritance that we have, that, that idea, the, the sense of inheritance is, is inherently familial language. You, you get an inheritance when you're in the family. And the inheritance that we have received, he says, did not come because we qualified for it, but because God the Father qualified us for it. And he did it through delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom, note this, of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So to to say it another way, we are brothers and sisters in the family of God because of the work of the beloved Son. The beloved Son is Christ, and the work of Christ is His death on the cross for our sin and His resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul means when he says, in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the whole letter of the Colossians has been telling us that in order to live out the Christian life, we have to receive a new status, a new identity through faith in Christ. And when we do, God empowers us to live out this new life. And it's no different here. The new status that we have, the new identity that we have is that we're family. We're we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We belong to the family of God. The beautiful thing as Paul unpacks uh, these greetings as he reminds us not only are we family of God in this local church, but some of you may one day move and go to another local church and you'll join with the rest of your family who are gathered in that local church. Or you came from a local church with other believers, other brothers and sisters, and you join this family of believers and become a part of this family. God's family's bigger than our local church, but every local church you're a part of exists as the family of God. And Paul tells us that we're family and it's that status, that identity, that shapes all the stuff that we do. So we're family, but what kind of family are we? In our family, in the family of God, perhaps the most basic characteristic of those who belong to God's family is that we're servants. We're a family of servants. We see this woven throughout the language of Paul's greeting. Um, He refers to Tychicus, who is a beloved brother, we see that language, and a faithful minister And fellow servant. Now, at this time in the church, minister was not a term that you use to refer to somebody on staff at a church. The word minister is where we actually get the word deacon. Uh, And I don't think Paul is referring to Tychicus as a deacon of a local church, but the root of the idea of deacons are that they are servants. And, and Paul is referencing uh, the, the serving ministry of Tychicus. No doubt his role alongside Paul in taking the gospel to the nations. But he makes it even more clear. He not just refers to him as a fellow minister, but a fellow servant. He, he says the same thing of Aristarchus and Mark and Justice. They, they have uh, they're his co-workers who have comforted him greatly through his impri- imprisonment. Then Epaphras, who we've talked about, Epaphras is here referred to as a servant of Christ Jesus, and he, de- he describes how Epaphras, in his service, prays for the Colossians and works hard uh, for these believers, not only the Colossians, but those in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. And then Paul refers to Nympha, who serves the church through opening her house for the church to meet in. All of these descriptions, and, and ultimately, even though uh, there aren't descriptions where we can unpack all of the work that each of these people did, all of them are mentioned because they have served alongside Paul. Think about what Paul could have said to Luke. He calls Luke the beloved physician. I don't know how Luke. Maybe maybe he served him through helping Paul. I don't. Maybe he was Paul's personal physician. But we do know that Luke traveled with Paul. He recorded the ministry of Paul. Perhaps it was at the prompting and encouragement of Paul that Luke began the work of taking up the accounts from other believers uh, to, to record the gospel of Luke. And no doubt it was through the influence and in the ministry of Paul that Luke wanted to write an account of not only what, what God did through Jesus, but what God continued to do after Jesus was raised and ascended to heaven through the work of the Spirit in the church that Luke wrote the gospel, or wrote the book of Acts. It doesn't tell us all that Aristarchus did or all that Mark did or, or Jesus who is called Justice. Uh, doesn't doesn't give us a full description of the ministry of Demas but we do know that they served alongside Paul. They served Paul in some meaningful way or they served alongside Paul. But what we can say from the description that Paul does provide, that there are at least five ways to serve the church listed in these descriptions. One, we can serve the church through encouragement. Paul mentions those Jewish believers, Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus who is called Justice, <clears throat> and he says that they were of comfort to me. He mentions Aristarchus, who is a fellow prisoner. No doubt they were with Paul in some hard situations. These were, these were friends and co-workers of Paul who, who weren't just fair-weather fans, right? They weren't just fair-weather uh, brothers uh, in, in Christ, but they were with him in some difficult circumstances. Mark, as we mentioned earlier, had walked through uh, some measure of at least difference of opinion, if not conflict, with, uh, with, with Paul. We don't know Jesus who is called justice, uh, but we're told that these Jewish believers uh, were, were fellow workers for the kingdom of God and that they comforted Paul. They were an encouragement to him. They, they blessed him. Perhaps they, they reminded Paul that all wasn't lost, even though he was in chains again. That the work of the gospel wasn't uh, wasn't chained, even though Paul was chained. Paul would say that to uh, to Timothy in Second Timothy, he said, "I may be chained, but the work of the gospel is not chained." Perhaps they 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 reminded Paul of the promises of God when he was discouraged. Perhaps they they prayed with Paul and and like Paul and Silas did in Acts 16 at the church at Philippi, they they perhaps sang hymns together even though they were in prison together because their joy wasn't defined by their circumstances but their joy was found in the Lord. Perhaps they encouraged him in those ways but we know that they were of comfort to him. So we serve through encouragement. We serve through through prayer. Epaphras, we are told, struggles on your behalf in his prayers. I can only take it to mean that that Epaphras was earnest in praying for the Colossians. I don't think Epaphras went around bragging about how he prayed for the Colossians or for other believers. I think what must have been the case is that Paul knew Epaphras well enough and that Epaphras was genuine enough in his prayers that Paul could gather from talking with and praying with Epaphras that he really cared about the Colossians. And so just by Paul listening perhaps to his prayers and talking with Epaphras, he knew the, the, way that Paul, uh, the way that Epaphras would pray for the Colossian believers and pray for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. We're reminded that we serve through prayer. We're also reminded that we serve through working for others' spiritual good. I've told you before that I define discipleship and disciple-making as as knowing and following Jesus and helping others do the same. Uh, It's not mine. Somebody else came up with it. I just like it and repeat it. Uh, It's knowing and following Jesus and helping others do the same. But perhaps my my favorite uh, uh, kind of broad definition of disciple-making comes from Mark Dever who says that discipleship or disciple-making is seeking others' spiritual good. And I like it because it's not only that The only form disciple-making can take isn't just like one-to-one Bible reading, though that's, I think, an essential and and, and vital part of of disciple-making, reading the Scriptures together. But there may be a whole host of ways that you can seek somebody else's spiritual good through prayer, through uh, conversation. Maybe it's through a less frequent meeting, but yet still intentional conversation in those meetings. And what Paul, what Paul says about Epaphras here, I think, is a good description of it. He says that Epaphras works hard for you. And I don't think he's saying that Epaphras uh, is just putting in 9 to 5, right, uh, to, to, to make tents like Paul uh, occasionally did. I think he's saying that he worked hard for your spiritual good, for your being built up in the faith. Kind of like Paul said, uh, that we mentioned at the beginning in Colossians 1, Paul says that he labors. This is the language of work. He labors that they would be built up and mature in Christ. And that's how Epaphra serves. He serves for their spiritual good. Then we also see Nympha, who I mentioned earlier, who opens her house for the church to meet in. We can serve through hospitality. Now, I want you to understand something. Hospitality isn't making your house as nice as you can be, as nice as it can be, so that you can impress the guest who comes over. That may be a fine thing to do. I'm not saying that you shouldn't make your house nice. But hospitality is sharing what you have with others for the sake of the gospel hospitality is this openness with what you have. It may be bringing them into your house. It may be even with your stuff, or it may be even pursuing other people to meet them where they're at, where you open yourself up and share what you have for the sake of the gospel. And Nympha said, I've got a house. This church needs a place to meet. So, here's my house. We're grateful for the saints and for the brothers at Crossroads who said, you got a church and you need a place to meet. Here's here's our house to meet. We went from his house to this house, but either way, it's God's house, right? Like we're grateful to be God's people uh, gathered together and for the hospitality of others to open their home. And then we see that um, we can serve through faithfulness. As Paul talks and refers to uh, Archippus and he says... See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. I think that most likely what Archippus, the ministry that he has is similar to the ministry that Timothy had in Ephesus where Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to, to kind of strengthen and put things in order because Paul basically tells Timothy the same thing, fulfill your ministry. Um, we don't know that for sure, but I think most likely he's left behind uh, by Epaphras and through correspondence with Paul to, uh, to carry on some type of ministry. And Paul is telling him, be faithful in your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. It's basically a call to faithfulness. Just think about these five things. No doubt, as we read them here, there's some big implications of them for the church at Colossae, but I want you to notice how ordinary they are. Who among us can't encourage somebody? Who, who among us can't pray? Who among us can't seek somebody's spiritual good in some way, shape, or form? Who among us can't open our home or share our stuff for the sake of the gospel? Who among us can't be faithful to whatever it is that the Lord has called us to do? I love that encouragement, the ordinariness of it. It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be showy. It doesn't have to be impressive. But it's a call to serve. And if Jesus is our Savior, and he chose to identify himself as the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many, then what could we expect but to be a family of servants? If we identify Christ as our Savior, then we're called to to be servants, a family of servants. But finally, we're also called to be a family of servants and missionaries. You see, ultimately, as the family of God, service may be our most basic definition, but our family business is mission. The, the family business that we're a part of is to make the gospel known. And, and Paul, as he writes at the beginning of the letter, he talks about how this took place, as he says in Colossians 1, 5 through 5-7, uh, he writes and he says, um, <clears throat> the, of this, the gospel, uh, you heard uh, and in verses 3 through 4, talks about uh, how they turned to God and they trusted in him and their faith was worked out in love and uh, was marked by hope. He says, of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which came to you as indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing. How did that happen? It happened because they heard and understood the grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Ultimately, all of these co-workers of Paul, all of these brothers and sisters in Christ alongside Paul are furthering the gospel. They were on the front end of the gospel coming to Colossae, they're on the front end of the work in Laodicea and Hierapolis, whether it be opening their home or perhaps joining Epaphras in the ministry that he did there, perhaps with Paul. Uh, we, we see from other lists and scriptures that Tychicus, he's not only going to Ephesus, but we find him in Acts 20. He's listed there, serving alongside Paul. Uh, Luke uh, is, is alongside Paul throughout much of his ministry in the latter half of the, God, uh, of the book of Acts. We, we see uh, the, the work of, uh, of others here, Epaphras showing up in other places as well, Demas, uh, we, we see his ministry in other places. We're also reminded through Demas that Demas served faithfully. But by the time Paul writes at the end of his life in First and Second Timothy, he says Demas has departed from the faith because he loved the things of the world. What a sobering reminder. Even though Demas here was serving alongside Paul, there came a time where he departed not only from Paul but from the faith because he loved the things of the world. And so we're, we're, we're seeing this whole picture of how all of these brothers and sisters are serving to advance the gospel. The way the gospel bears fruit is through God's people opening their mouths and sharing the gospel. Through God's people lending whatever they've got, their houses, their time, their resources, their gifts, so that the gospel can be made known, so that the church can be established the whole context that Paul writes within is the context of mission. And, and to, to be a family of servants is to understand that we're a family of servants. We can say we're servants and missionaries, or we could say it this way, we're servants who have a mission. And that mission is to make Christ known and to establish and build up the church. I say this uh, frequently, and you hear this at TCC, that we believe that community is cultivated, not found. And when we say that, what we mean is if you find meaningful community, if you find people that um, you're like, wow, I enjoyed that time. I enjoy getting to know those people. That was, I felt welcomed. It felt warm. If you find that at TCC, you did not just stumble upon a good thing but it is taking place because somebody is cultivating it. Somebody is seeking to serve you, getting to know you, trying to welcome you, making themselves available to you, giving of themselves so that you can feel welcome, so that you can feel included in community. Now, of course, we are not perfect at this, and so we may, uh, we may need to continually grow in cultivating community. But what I'm saying when we say that community is cultivated is that Developing community, community, cultivating community is work. And in the same way, mission is work. Mission is work. What, again, what I'm not saying is I don't want you to look at mission as, as like your uh, 9 to 5 job that you try to just punch the clock and, and do your duty, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the same thing that we could say it this way. Mission is cultivated. It's cultivated because we're seeking to get to know people. We're seeking to give of ourselves to people. We're seeking to love people. We're seeking to share the gospel. We're seeking even to work through the uncomfortable, uncertain, I don't know what to say right now, but I'm going to try my best to say something and trust the Lord with the results. It's the, I don't know what's going to happen after I share this, but I'm still going to love you even if you don't receive what I say kind of service. It's the kind of I don't know, God, how you want to use me, but right now my prayer is that you would just help me see how you want to use me. It's, a, it's a, a willingness to say, God, I believe that not only I belong to you, but you've called me to help others know that they can belong to you too. When we say mission is work, we're not saying that it's all drudge and all duty, but we're saying that it requires intentionality. It requires giving of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. I think Epaphras is a great example. And I've said it before, and I'll say it to conclude. Epaphras somehow left Colossae and went to Ephesus. And when he was there, he heard the gospel from Paul, or perhaps one of Paul's other co workers. Epaphras went home. And I don't know how it happened. The Bible doesn't tell us, so there's a certain sense of which I'm reconstructing this. But when Epaphras got home, there wasn't a church. And then at some point in time, there was a church. And the only way that happened, that change took place, is somebody shared the gospel, a few people came to faith in Christ, and then they began to meet as a church. And then, not only did the gospel go to Colossae, but the gospel also went to places like Laodicea and Hierapolis. For the mission of God to advance, it takes ordinary people like Epaphras, who come to faith in Christ through only the the ways that God could ordain, to be willing to open themselves up, to love and serve the places that they live with the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves, for whom are we working hard for the sake of the gospel? For whom are we working hard for the sake of the gospel? Who are we praying for? Who are we seeking to move towards with intentionality? One of the ways that we want to encourage and, and just foster this sense of community, of, of mission within our own church family is through asking us over the next 30 days to intentionally pray. I want you to pray with me every day for one person, for one person that you're seeking to share the gospel with. We have put some bookmarks in the seats around you and you'll see on that bookmark, there's a top part, there's like a little line that you can fold and a space to write a name a name of one person that you're praying for. And then the, the second half, it's meant to, to keep that half and, and stick it in your Bible. Uh, and over the next 30 days, we're going to read through and just reflect on those passages of Scripture. Uh, those passages are meant to stir us up and thinking about um, how, how, how God has rescued us from our sin and saved us and how God's called us to pray for and seek uh, others that they might come to faith in Christ. And I want to ask you to join me in praying for that person. Write that the name down of whoever it is on that card and put it somewhere. Maybe it's in your Bible. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, in the bathroom mirror to remind you as you get ready in the morning. Maybe it's the little console of your car right before you shift into drive or reverse. Uh, I'm not asking you to do anything too complicated, but just to somehow, some way, put that name before you daily and pray for him or her. And pray that God would give you, like Paul has prayed here, opportunity, courage, and clarity. Give me an opportunity, God. Give me courage to speak and help me be clear. And let's just trust the Lord to use us like he used the Epaphras. And ask him to help us to be servants who are on mission, working hard for the sake of others coming to faith in Christ. So in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. And as you reflect on that time as well as during worship, I want to challenge you to, to write something on that card if you can or have it if you don't have a pen. I'm sorry we don't have pens passed out, but uh, there are some in the back uh, on your way out if you need to do it afterwards. Um, if you don't have a name, write down, write down work. Write down Neighbor. Write down family. Write down some some category that you're going to pray for and ask the Lord to bring that person to your mind. I don't know who, I don't know how, but I trust that the Lord will work through us as we're faithful to be his family who are servants on mission. And I think the way Paul ends is a fitting way for us to end. Paul ends with these words, grace be with you. It's a very common ending. In fact, it's the way Paul ends pretty much every letter. But it does not mean that we should take it for granted because I ultimately believe to be Christ-centered is to be grace-centered. To be Christ-centered is to be full of grace, living in the grace that comes from Christ and showing grace to others. You see, grace is what makes us family. And it's grace that also fuels us to live as servants and missionaries. I I am not here asking you, nor do I believe the Bible is asking you to put being a servant or a missionary on a checklist of things to do to be a good Christian. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I do think the Bible teaches that grace is so incredible and so amazing that God would give himself for us in our place, for our sin, to rescue us, to free us from sin and death. And Satan, to give us new life, to give us new purpose, to give us a new identity, that if we have that identity, that in our life, we will live to share that with others. We'll look at the places we go, the places we live, the places we work, and the people that God puts this around as, as those to whom he wants to use us to make him known. I'm a Christian today because people lived like that you're a Christian today because somebody lived like this. And I believe others will become Christians because we as a church live like this in our community. I'm thankful to God for Will and Jackie who picked me up for church. I'm thankful to God for Elizabeth who took a chance to invite a weird 13-year-old to church. For Doug and Linda who sacrificed their time to be small group leaders and they didn't know they were going to become my small group leader and literally become my parents and the grandparents to my children. I'm, I'm thankful for friends like Matt who pretty much for four years of my life every day I saw him read the Bible and pray and seek to share his faith and it shaped me and who I am today. I'm thankful to God for uh, for friends like Christian and and friends like dwayne and zach who opened up their life just to challenge me at the time they were just my peers they weren't a pastor to me that we were just in small group together friends like like tanner and jared who were willing to to hold me accountable and and challenge me to get up at ungodly hours to study the bible with them it's those kind of of people that the lord uses in our life that he's calling us to be for someone else so I think as I read Paul's greetings I was just reminded of how personal it is to me how I came to faith in Christ and how I grew up in Christ and how I thank God that he's using this church and I know that you are the names on other people's list even in this church and some of you it's other people in this church who are on your list who have encouraged you and who have built you up and in many ways like that's what it's about It's easy to lose sight of all the stuff that we're supposed to do, but it's people loving people and sharing the gospel with other people. That's the mission. That's what God's called us to. And it's grace that sustains us. If it's a checklist, we may be good for 30 days, but we're not gonna be much good after that. But if it's grace, it's grace that will sustain us and keep us as we seek to live our lives that way until Christ returns.